about the week, no show. What's happening in our streets, no show. They'll help you understand, no show, no show. Well, welcome to the no show. My name is Andrew Edwards. Yes, she is, and I'm Joe Augustine. And my name is Tim Wade. Welcome to the show. It's a show where you're going to find out about the news of the week, things to talk about, things to think about, opinions, ideas that matter, and so that you can be more informed, more in the know. And we've got a special guest joining us today. His name is David Lim. Uh, A lot of you in Singapore will probably know David Lim. He was the leader of the first Singaporean expedition to summit Mount Everest. And uh, since then, he's been doing... Uh, a lot in the in the world of professional speaking, motivating teams across Asia and across the world. And uh, more recently, he's been investing in his time in extraordinary activities, such as walking his dog. His dog, his fur kids get a lot of mentions in his Facebook posts. Uh, but at the same time, sort of trying to take over Japan one house at a time. And, and, um, and interestingly enough, now is a collector of, of vintage cars. Uh, does a collector of one car make you a collector? <laughs> Probably <laughs> depends on the size of the headache. <laughs> yeah, well, welcome to the show, David. Tell us, tell us a bit about, tell us a bit about what you've been, your, what you've been doing with this car thing. Uh, you know, well, you know, uh, you know, going into semi-retirement, I thought, hey, it'd be cool to do an interesting, what we call, you know, project, and and so I got interested in getting a classic, classic car from the eighties. You know, we have a lot of rules in Singapore about what kind of cars you can import in privately on your own. So for a classic car, it's got to be at least 35 years old, for example. So that kind of like narrowed down the time frame. And the 80s was a great time, right? That's when we were young. I mean, I was in my 20s. So I began looking around for a car to get into Singapore, to renovate, to refurbish it. So it's a huge, steep learning curve in, in terms of uh, how these things work, right? I mean, those, the cars in those days weren't built like they are these days. The, uh, the feedback you get from the road, the, the stick shift, the manual aspects, the low level of electronics in the cars, actually make the driving experience a lot closer to what driving should be. So the car's in Singapore now, and uh, I've been busy, obviously, educating myself in what needs to be done, uh, what's, what's wrong with it, what needs to be fixed, and getting the parts, which is part of like, the detective part of the whole mission, right? Getting those spare parts in. <laughs> okay, so I've been having the same experience, but with coffee machines. But, um, <laughs> but with the car side, so it, it's, I find it very disconcerting that that, that means I'm now a classic, or am I beyond the classic? I mean, if the '80s is the classics, I'm going to be in like the vintage era. Tim, oh, yeah, I think the word is relic. There's a vintage car category under Singapore transport laws as well, so maybe you can fall into that category, vintage. Okay. You know, I have been imported into the country. Look, uh, so if so, basically, um, David Lim is, uh, as of right this moment, uh, like, and he doesn't know this yet, but of right this moment, has started a consultancy business in uh, in how to get vintage cars into Singapore. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, all right. But that's an important point. Most people wouldn't realize that the laws around cars in Singapore are quite strict. I mean, basically, once it's ten years old, it's scrapped, which so it must be incredibly challenging getting a car into Singapore. Um, you can. It's, yeah, you, you can't import cars more than three years old in Singapore until they reach 35 years and older, then you can import them in. So the idea yeah. is that you really want to keep a tight grip of, of, of car importation into Singapore and all the rules that apply to what you can and what you can't bring into the country, basically. Hmm. Hmm. 
Interesting. All righty. Who's that? Somebody sounded like they had a butterfly attacking their microphone. All right, Andrea. So, oh, uh, Joe, you want to give everyone a rundown of what we do in this show? And what the format's like, because you tend to do that really well. Well, the format's going to be, well, thanks for, for, for checking us out for the first time and speaking to you, the first time watcher, listener, whatever, because this goes out in so many formats, right? Uh, those of you enjoying this right now on your stone tablet, it took a long time to translate, but uh, we got it to you in the end. Uh, this <laughs> this program is one that has the ambition of, uh, of covering a lot of stuff like uh, Tim mentioned before. And so what happens at the start of it is Andrea, who does all the real reading on this show, will help us uh, all catch up at the same time. Uh, and then we all have our little bits of uh, you know, commentary that may come along the way. Uh, and then we round off the, the, the show usually with uh, dropping in on our, our guest speaker, talking about his or her topic. Uh, and then at the last bit, we get all frivolous and talk about the little bits of stuff that should be uh, ignored, but we didn't ignore ourselves. Uh, we talk about things that got our attention as well. Is that, a, is that a frivolous enough description of the whole thing, Tim? You've frivoled very well. So maybe Thank we should you. go to the news. Uh, Andrew, is this our last show for the year? Uh, yes, I was just going to say, and it's our last show for the year. So we're back okay. on, I think it's January the 14th. We better do that yeah. then. Oh, oh right. yeah, I got one too. Yours looks like a traffic cone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Where's Wally one. It's a, All right. it sparkles too. I'm going to do mine on the other side so it doesn't get caught up in the branding. Okay. I wore all my special clothing underneath the waistline. <laughs> uh -huh. That's called semi-retired. Uh, i got to take it off. It's all right. Hot. Okay. So should we get stuck into the news that struck a chord this week? Let's go. Let's do it. All right. So I'm sure you all noticed we kicked off with some of the worst ever tornadoes seen in America, in Kentucky and surrounding states. So the death toll, they, they were predicting it was going to be well over 100, but it stands at 90 today, and the youngest was two months old. So there's been some other really weird events in the weather. If you've got friends in the US, I'm sure you've been noticing some of the social media posts, you know, fences knocked down, but it's right across the country. It's um, When one mate said it was 60 degrees Fahrenheit in Boston yesterday, in the middle of December, which is quite incredible, but one of the articles to look out for is the jet stream took a sharp turn. And the jet stream is an important part of the climate story, so it's worth paying attention to. And the U.S. got unprecedented tornado weather in December. So there's that word unprecedented again. On the other side of the world, we had a, a tragedy. Um, five children died in Tasmania in Australia. Uh, in a, a, a bouncy council was flight, uh, thrown up in the air like 10 feet, 33 metres, I think. No, 10 metres. 10 metres, 33 feet. 33 feet, yeah. Yeah, and uh, five five little little darlings were killed in this accident. There's, I think, four more still in critical condition in hospital. I grew up in a community like this, and you can feel the outpouring and the, the, the real grief in Australia over this, uh, countrywide, not just in Tasmania. So that that was a very I – th I found that a very sad story. Did you guys see it? I did. Yeah. I find it terrible. Yeah. I, I actually – hesitated to, 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 to even go looking at it because I, I heard about the story and I just thought I'm not going to feel any better by looking at it. Um, yeah. But uh, no, I, 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 Tim, you go ahead first. I, I've got some, 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 some additional thoughts, the kinds of thoughts you might not want to hear immediately. Well, uh, mine, mine is just uh, one of sadness and grief for the parents to have to have had to deal with that what's supposed to be a fun occasion on on a bouncy castle i mean a huge wind has come in and and picked this thing up that's that was the problem the kids were jumping up and down on it and it just 
it just got lift uh, and it ended up being as high as 10 meters in the air and some of these kids fell off it from that height yeah. uh, who were in the bouncy castle. So it's just one of those things where it's it just seems like a freak occurrence, although uh, presumably questions will be asked as to why didn't somebody nail the thing down like you would a tent. Yeah. But that must have been a pretty big win to have come in to do that. But it's just a horrific, horrific thing to have happened. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, that's not a yeah, that's it. I, I was actually surprised to find that uh, uh, there's some countries that actually have warnings about uh, about this kind of thing. It, it, it bouncy castles come with a warning for this reason as well. So it's one of those things where where you know it's 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 something that people know about and actually have thought about and actually said, okay, it's not uh, we should not uh, do this in some countries and then in other places we just forget about it because it does look like a lot of fun without any kind of danger until. Until something like this happens, yeah, maybe they should be exclusively indoors. They are rather big things, but they can do them in gyms and sports centers and stuff like that. But that means somebody's got to rent a place, and everything gets a lot, a lot more expensive. But yeah, yeah, it's a terrible one. Yeah, it was it's was sad. And before Christmas, you know, it's like yeah. um, there. So was, the other- Andrea, just before you go on, back in the tornado thing, um, one thing I did that did stand out from that particular article to me was that. The, the worst hit place was this factory where 100 workers were inside. That means they were working during a giant tornado. Yeah. And, um, and, so, and I haven't heard any criticism about that. And interestingly enough, the, the factory was the Mayfield Candle Factory. And we're coming to the end of the year where everybody buys candles because they don't know what else to buy. And, um, and so my, my presumption, without any evidence, but my sort of presumption was these people were told to just keep working because they had an output deadline of a whole bunch of candles that needed to go out because of all the orders that come in this time of year. And, of course, it's winter and candles are romantic and everything else and Valentine's Day is coming up and whatever it is. So uh, for me, that that seems to suggest that people were not protected for the sake of commerce. So um, the, um, the reporting says that people were threatened to be fired if they left. Oh, I didn't the, see that. that so yeah. that's so horrific. It's, and um, they supply to Amazon, so it's obviously been linked to Amazon. But it's a it's a business that supplies to Amazon. But yeah, no, so it's not it's, Amazon's yeah. fault. I don't think. I think that's the business's decision on that yeah. particular one. Yeah. Um, so that's terrible. But the good news one out of that was there were these two kids that were in the bathtub. Yeah. And as the thing came through, that it sucked the bathtub out of the house, and the bathtub was found. Some somewhere else with the two kids in it, and they were fine. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. it was, it, it's kind of weird, but at the same time, uh, clearly the place to go if you're in one of these things is possibly the bathtub or the underground shelters that a lot of them have. If everyone's watched the movie Twister, yeah. But to be ha- these things happening at this time of year is very unusual. Oh, unprecedented. Remember? Uh, yeah, I can't stand that word anymore. Yeah, unprecedented just basically means we knew something like this was going to happen, but we didn't sign off on the accord. Well, I mean, I, think about the unprecedented thing as well, right? I mean, I, I know it's somewhere in our list of things later, but I think it's appropriate here. I heard about a weather report where the temperature was uh, 38 degrees, which seems like a warm day in Singapore, but that was the high temperature they they measured in the Arctic, which yep. instantly said, that's troubling. Oh, yeah. And we're going to talk that about is. that in the environment one because it's a big concern. and um, uh, it, it's, it's old news, but it's it's just been confirmed. But the other breaking news this week, of course, Elon Musk is Times Person of the Year. What do you guys think? What's your opinions? Lots of people have got him. 
<laughs> what? Go ahead, Joe. I mean, David. Well, I, I don't, David, I don't start, with David. start with David first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, someone yeah, take I, this bucket I, of water. Come on, here, here we go. Yeah, here, David, I, you I'm take not, it. I, I'm not. Uh, I, I'm not. You know, I, I, I fairly ambivalent feelings about you know billionaires. You know, obviously he's one of the most high-profile billionaires in the world because of who he is. Um, but you know, don't forget one thing, right? Um, the time, the, the Time Magazine, the person of the year doesn't necessarily mean that the person needs to be likable or, or even a person who exudes positivity in all respects. It's a person who's made the most amount of news or makes the news when he opens his mouth and says things. So in that sense, you know, you may not agree with the uh, decision, but hey, you know, he was obviously quite a strong candidate, whatever you look at it, right? Person of the year. So I think we're going to move away from the idea that person of the year means somebody who's you know, oozing the milk of human kindness, you know, or human positivity. Yeah, let's let's remember that. Yeah, person, you could be a very powerful newsmaker for 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 good or bad. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, very few people remember the uh, the person of the year, nineteen thirty eight, certain guy called Adolf. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that one. Yes. Yeah, I don't he didn't have Bitcoin. I wasn't alive. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, th- I I still think Trump was a bit disappointed he didn't get it. No, he lost out to Greta. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, how dare they? And Putin yep. got it a few years ago as well. So um, the people's choice was actually Bolsano or Bolsano, however you say his name from Brazil. So mm. yeah. Bolsonaro. Yeah. Bolsonaro. Yeah, Bolsonaro. That's it. <laughs> yeah. E- equally yeah. troubling, if not more, actually. Well, exactly. Right. All well, right. So I mean, look, ultimately, my view on on this particular one is Time is a magazine, and their their objective is to sell magazines, and so. You know they'll put they'll put on the front cover because they created two new categories, well three new categories, but heroes of the year was a new category they created, and so they put all the vaccine scientists on that one because that's not really going to sell too many magazines. But putting Elon, who polarizes people and gets conversations happening, is fantastic for Times marketing. And then if you have a look at it, um, and and so when it was released, uh, the the guy the guy who did the re- the big reveal, the editor did the big reveal on the Today Show. Right. So that's a morning show in the US. And I I thought to myself, huh, let's do some research. So I went in and I said, well, what are the top morning shows in the US by viewership? Why would they do NBC's Today Show? Well, it just turns out that that uh, even though their viewership is slightly behind ABC's Good Morning America, their adult viewership is the highest in America. That is between 25 and 54 year olds. And these are the people who are likely to buy Times magazine, be influencers and be talking about stuff on social media that matters to uh, purchases. So for, for time to target, uh, to, to reveal it on NBC, I don't think is a mistake. Uh, and ultimately, they're a magazine that sells advertising. So, you know, they've done it for a while and they're here to promote something that's going to sell more magazines. I mean, ultimately. Um, but they did, he did say three things that, that was their reasons for choosing Elon. They said he's he's been involved, this is a bit interesting, but he's been involved in reshaping life on Earth and possibly elsewhere, uh, which is okay. So that's interesting. He, they talked about electric cars going huge largely because of him and and what Tesla have done in making people very attentive to that particular market and making it a desirable rather than some sort of weird battery-operated miserable thing. And SpaceX was the other thing that they, they said um, – you know, NASA's chosen astronauts to the moon again, to go to the moon again after fifty something years, um, partly because of what SpaceX has done. And what SpaceX has done is reusing boosters and being able to save costs in that particular way is interesting. So I, 
I get it, but I think personally, I think that's a great one for selling more magazines and getting people talking like we are now. Uh, I think there are a lot more deserving people, um, particularly during a time of a pandemic, uh, that should be on the front cover of a uh, of of that. Remember last year, it was um, the doctors and nurses on the front line. The, the front cover was a whole bunch of people. So I, th- I think they honoured them and then, then they had the hero section. I don't know. I think Musk is one of those really interesting characters. I don't think any of us get him or understand why he does things. But what I like about him is he blows stuff up all the time. You know, he he, he doesn't follow the rules and, you know, he's the world's richest man. Um, but he, I don't know, he's, he, he challenges the status quo and I... I we need people like that, and uh, and, 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 and I love how he engages as well. Like, um, you know, he really uses Twitter in a way that's very interesting for someone of his caliber, and he talks to his community, and I like that. Um, I don't love him or what he represents, but I don't know. I, th- I think it's a good choice for this year. David, you were saying? Yeah, I mean, uh, wasn't wasn't Elon Musk one of the co-founders of uh, of PayPal? PayPal? Yeah, it was. So, so this is it. So, for a lot, think about it. For a lot of people who are in their, in their, in their, say, in their twenties, right? They may have really forgotten that even more than ten years ago, he was already a cage rattler. You know, he was already a, a, you know, he was already a maverick. He was shaking up the whole banking system by this digital format. So, I, I'm not sure how much was stake. He still, he, I think he actually sold out, sold off or something. But definitely, he has been around, even you know. Shaking things up even way be- before Tesla, way before yeah. SpaceX. Yeah, well, he bought just, Tesla too, so he it was somebody else's. Right, and it, just, it was just last week. I think I was report that there was a report where he's 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 got he owns or has massive shares in a company where they've got this technology, which I think sounds like bots that gets injected into into humans, and it's going to help people who have got uh, quad- quadriplegics. Uh, I'll find the article and share it, but. You know, there's there's some really good work being done that doesn't necessarily always get the headlines. Um, but like David said, I love a maverick. I, I mean, I like Elon. I like Elon. I was coming from the perspective of why time would choose choose him. But I, I do like him for the same reasons that you said, Andrea. And and also that he does, he, he is a bit of an all or nothing kind of person. He does go all in on, on things. So he sold out of PayPal and went all in on the Tesla one. Mm. And he, he takes big risks. Although I... I think he's he's a super smart guy. I mean, he's one of those sort of photographic. I don't know if he's got photo, but he's he's sort of I don't know Asperger's or something or other. He's he's very he's very um, he's super smart and and works things out pretty quickly. And he 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 went all in. The one I love that he did that I haven't really seen take off in a huge way was he made roof tiles. Um, Photo photoelectric. So he basically, instead of putting a, a solar powered thing on your on top of your roof tiles, let's make the roof tiles solar powered, uh, like a photoelectric. So yeah. then he, they were marketing that where you just and it looked beautiful like a beautiful house, but the whole thing's you know run by electricity. And then when he went big into sort of crypto, he he that that caused a bit of problems for those in crypto because anytime he says anything, the market moves. But <laughs> but he. But what he did do is he, when he realized that the amount of electricity that it was chomping down, he sort of said, okay, I'm not going to play here anymore until things get better. Yeah. You know, and it needed, but, it, it needed yeah. someone like him to sort of bring that to, to, to the attention because a lot of people were paying attention, but it wasn't really 
been that it wasn't a conversation that people were having. So I was I was happy yep. with that, right? I'm not yep. always yeah. happy with everything he says, but yeah. Need, need to point out that the follow up to that was, of course, uh, Tesla figuring out that it costs. Uh, more money to run the banking system and more electricity and more other stuff to run the banking system than Bitcoin. So just putting yeah. that one on the table. Sometimes it feels as though billionaires feel they have the right to be self-contradictory. I mean, let's think about it, right? Tesla, EVs, fantastic in you know, the way, poss possibly with the future, but not a lot of enthusiasm or talk from the billionaires about how do we process the waste of these things as well as photovoltaic cells, because photovoltaic cells do not last forever. How do you process all that toxic silicon, or in the case of batteries, all that lithium? How do you how do you recycle those? And those will well, come in by the ton, by the ton load, basically. Each car. Well, that's why they're building. It's important for the uh, billionaires to look behind and give other billionaires an opportunity to raise themselves <laughs> by solving the problems that they create. <laughs> it's a giving community. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all a right, pay, pay it forward in time. Do you, want to, do you want to move on to COVID? You ready? So last, yeah. <laughs> so last, <laughs> no, but last week we were talking about how quiet it was, especially in the media, which was a bit of a relief that they weren't trying to make news out of no news because it, it, we were playing a waiting game. But I'm sure we can all see that's changed this week. It's a bit of a bam. It's all about COVID. So but we're still not sure what we're dealing with. And based on what's happening in the UK, they don't, believe that we'll know for sure the impact of Omicron until after Christmas, and that's hospitalizations and deaths. So we've still got a way to go. But if there's one one thing we can all certainly take away, it's, uh, it's moving fast. So one of the articles I read was Omicron variant multiplies 70 times faster in airways than Delta. And I thought this is, this is really interesting. So basically, this is its entrance into the airways, like you know, nostrils and stuff, and that's what's increasing its person-to-person -person spread. But the interesting part of this article was that it re replicates 10 times more slowly than the original version of coronavirus. So I'm presuming they were talking way back at the beginning. And they believe that that might contrib contribute to less severe illness. So if that's the case, it's a good thing. Um, but this research is under peer review and we won't know what, um, until that's happening. But basically they've been talking about the tidal wave of Omicron uh, washing over the UK and this week, they recorded the highest number of daily COVID-19 cases since the beginning of the pandemic. And on Wednesday, it was 78,610 cases. The previous record was 68,053, which was on the 8th of January, when we really didn't have many people vaccinated and the UK was still in lockdown. So it's, uh, it's moving fast and the US, if you, the US is starting to take off too. The message from everyone is get your, get your shot, get your booster, and remember it takes two weeks for it to go into effect. So um, if, if, it's, if Omicron has arrived in your country and you haven't done it yet, don't delay. Um, the other thing is we also saw the US has hit 800,000 deaths from COVID since the beginning, and that means one of every 100 older Americans has per perished since the beginning of the crisis. Uh, keep an eye on Portugal. They've got an 88% vaccine rate in everyone who can be fully vaccinated. Uh, booster shots uh, program is well underway as well. But the, that's one of those places where the world is watching because based, based on what happens there, we'll, we'll have a better idea of what's going to happen around the world. But the, the sort of the overall messages that keep coming through, we've underestimated this virus since the beginning. Let's not make the same mistake again. 
uh, many, many of the scientists are saying, please take this seriously. This is probably the worst scenario we've been in since the pandemic began. And finally, we don't know yet. We still don't know. It's going to be a couple more weeks before we know how serious it is. So that's my overview of COVID for the week. Yeah, I liked, um, there was an article, I think you shared an article about uh, COVID booster shots increasing vaccine effectiveness. I think like that seven, was another thing you shared. 75 to 78%, something like that. Yeah, what was really interesting was some of the, in the key facts section at the end of that article, um, it was, it, it said the following, so I'll just read them out, there, there was five of them. Among those who had received two doses of the... Sorry, the top line was COVID booster shots delivered 71 to 75% protection against mild COVID symptoms from the Omicron variant, according to a study by the UK Health Security Agency released on Friday. Um, The other facts are among those who had received two doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine, a Pfizer-BioNTech booster increased the vaccine effectiveness against the Omicron variant to 71.4% two weeks after it was received. The figure was 75.5% for people whose primary dose was Pfizer itself, according to the study. Uh, Two doses of Pfizer followed by Pfizer booster gave 92.6% protection against the Delta variant, while two doses of AstraZeneca followed by Pfizer booster yielded 93.8%, so even higher. Um, the study analyzed around 550 people and nearly uh, with Omicron and 56,500 Delta cases hasn't yet been peer-reviewed, like Andrea said, excluded mixed primary doses. Uh, insufficient data to estimate vaccine effectiveness of Moderna vaccines, the study said. Sounds to me like it's a Pfizer-backed study in a weird way. Um, and the oh, no, but, the, produced- but, but the Moderna CEO was quite somber in his... Uh- Predictions for the vaccine. Was, do you remember last week we were talking? Yeah, about I remember that. that. Pfizer was so happy maybe, with saying ours is awesome. Yeah, hmm. um, but the Moderna one was saying none of them can. I thought he was he was warning against. But anyway, uh, Singapore government just put out something in the gov.sg sort of updates that we get with regards to this, saying, you know, uh, if you've had if you've had Pfizer, consider having Moderna as the booster because it it helps by a bit more. You know, okay. boost things up a bit. So the mix and match seems to be having a um, some validity. Well, in terms of the amount of antibody produced, well, the, the the triple M uh, combination seems to produce the highest load of antibodies. The question is is about the effectiveness of the antibody. So you you you, you the, the 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 Moderna one creates a lot of antibodies, which may not be as effective. Uh, we don't know yet, but it, mm. it may not be as effective against uh, Omicron. That's that's the that's the way it goes. So uh, if you if you um, if you've done if if you want if you want quantity. Uh, then go for the Moderna to to, to shore it all up. Uh, but as to whether or not the, it, it'll do the job well, hard to say. But it's a it's an interesting one, right? Because I think a lot of people get overwhelmed by this information. You know, I've had two Sinovacs and then a yep. Astra booster. I have no idea if that's any any good at all. The um, the, 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 va- the vaccine people are saying essentially is better than none. That's always yeah, the, uh, the case. Whatever yeah. whatever vaccine you have, that's that's the good vaccine. Uh, yeah. Get the best thing you can. Get it get it as much as you as you can get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, but I just recommend to everybody just really go and do your research. And you know, J and J is basically being pushed pushed aside now because of blood clot risks. So that's 
And that was one of the ones that was going to be great because it didn't need to be stored in, a, in minus whatever temperatures. Mm-hmm. So that one, that one's now being pushed to the side. Um, so we've got the, the main ones left. But there's lots of information out there if you want to understand what the best one is. I think many of the decisions being made now are in terms of public constraints, however, they are largely political decisions. They are medical decisions. Um, the only governments I think should come close to complying with medical decisions, um, but creating unpopular, making unpopular political decisions are like those in Singapore. Yeah. But look, I speak, I mean, look at the spectrum, right? A number of Singaporeans who have died from COVID, about one in 7,000 since the crisis began. America, about one in 400. The evidence is pretty clear. You know, it's not 200, 300, 400, but it's like quintuple doubles and triples of that to show that you take measures which are going to be seen by libertarians as constraints on your personal liberties, uh, you will get a very low death rate per, per, you know, per, per, per capita. Singapore is a classic example, right? Uh, if you don't, you go to the other extreme, you get the situation you get in the US and the UK. So they yeah. aren't exactly paragons of, uh, of, 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 med- of medical efficiency. Second, I think is that, yeah, it's becoming more transmissible. I'm not a virologist, but everything that, that we've known as lay people is that viruses, can't, they, they, can't, they can't mutate to kill people off quickly and a lot of people, because that's not in their interest. The interest is that they want to propagate themselves. So my hunch is, as an educated lay person is that you're going to get higher transmissibility, but lower, slightly lower, but the same level of, of lethality. And even now, now we know a lot more. Look at the death rate, say, in Singapore, right? Uh, it's like 0.2%. Now, that's not the same everywhere in the world. 0.2% is twice the death rate of, say, the flu. So yeah. it sounds very bad. My God, it's twice as deadly as the flu. But take a look. It's 0.2%. So it's still relatively low if you are talking about in the Singapore context. So again, I think we really have to keep some perspective about how dangerous this thing is. Yeah, I, that's well, interesting. The time twice as deadly as the flu because obviously, like you were saying in the US, that those numbers are significant. One in a hundred adults over sixty-five have died since the beginning. You know, so that's you know very very high numbers. And you know, the, the right from the word go, it was it's 10 times more lethal than the flu in, in, the, in the countries where it got out of control. But then on the other side, I know that um, Singapore has been a pretty tough place to be, like it still is, right? You still can only be out with five people, right? Yeah, so I, I'm just uh, going to throw a bit of, 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 of caution here because um, in terms of using statistics and, and, and saying, therefore, this is uh, equivalent to that, uh, you have to also take into account starting points. So, you know, like uh, the numbers for Sweden, for instance, right? They, they, they talked about how the way they did, that they did their stuff. Uh, it turned out in terms of mortality, and this is, this is very popular amongst the people who said, let's not have too many restrictions, saying that in terms of excess mortality, there was very little uh, difference between uh, before uh, COVID struck and after COVID, after COVID had been around for a while. And, and so it, the conclusion that many people took from that was, therefore, it doesn't make that much of a difference. Uh, but Singapore starts from a different place than the rest of the world as well, right? I mean, if you if you if you did some 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 analysis, you will you might find there might be some correlation to obesity. You might find there's a correlation to some other other aspects as well. So our, our baseline level of healthcare and health quality in Singapore actually is very significant. So that we didn't have as much exposure as well on, on, on the other end, because one of the biggest things that made you susceptible to COVID was some sort of poor health indicator in the first place, 
right? Yeah. So we, we actually had much better numbers in that way. So uh, I, I am a little bit concerned about the, the, the correlating the, 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 the data from one to the other. I mean, uh, when, when someone put the, the Sweden numbers in front of me and I said, do you really want to live in a world that starts off being that bad? I can't remember the number right now, but... I, I, I do, I do, Joe, I do. But basically, Sweden's almost exactly doubled the population of Singapore, right? But I think yep. we've got like 50,000. So if we adjust our population, right, we would have about, say, 1,500 deaths from COVID since the beginning. Sweden's around 50,000. You just do it. That's 10 times. <laughs> not one. Yeah, but, I think, but I think to Joe's point, the comparison for Sweden isn't Singapore. It's the neighbouring countries of Sweden, like Denmark, where they were le well less than 50% of what Sweden suffered and, and similar lifestyle, similar health, similar age groups. You know, then you go across into Africa where there's younger populations in Asia, a lot more younger populations, you know, you go yep. to America where there's more obesity, more diabetes, all those sort of things. So yeah, the, the, the apples to apples comparison has never been right. But, but there was, there was something in, in the article that, that one about the 70% faster replication in airways and 10% slower in the lungs. That article also talked about asymptomatic infections, uh, which is people spreading it, wandering around spreading it all over the place without having the symptoms of COVID, right? And it was 46% in North America, 44% in Europe, and 28% in Asia. And my first question to myself was, well, why is that? And and that and we can see it on television. I mean, it, as far as I'm concerned, everybody's running around without masks on in Europe and America either in America declaring their freedom and in Europe saying they want to go to the football. And in Asia, where everyone's, paying, everyone's just listening to what they're told to do for their own safety, which is wear a mask. And so ours is 28%. And then the recommendation out of the article is we recommend that you screen people for asymptomatic um, COVID, like asymptomatic COVID. You screen people and you quarantine them the same as you would with somebody who's got COVID. And that's exactly what happens here in Singapore. So I go play footballs on Sundays, which is which is detrimental to my health a few days afterwards. But but the but I go play football on Sundays. And before I can play football, I'm sitting there with doing the ART test with everybody else who's about to play. And we have to show them before we're allowed to go in. And we're doing that exactly for that. For the we're screening for asymptomatic COVID. Before we go and play, my daughter has to do it before she goes to school after some time off, or you know, yeah. if there's a if there's some sort of scare. Um, that's exactly what we're doing. But but if we're sort of sitting there with a placard and ch chanting why we shouldn't be doing it, and we have you know, it's impinging on my freedom to wear a mask. I mean, I don't really think so. I think it impinges on our freedom to 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 not wear one. Yeah, in fact, I also that we can move around and enjoy ourselves. Huh? I also don't want to paint the whole of uh, Europe with the We One Freedom thing because in, in the article you shared about Portugal, one of the stories I love in there was um, this older woman who was talking about how when they go out, they all wear the mask because life is too precious. Mm. You know, and I and I thought that's a it's a, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's an attitude towards that to realize that yeah. you're preserving the good thing uh, so you can have more life. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Instead of I demand my freedom to die when whenever it happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, in Portugal, I love the story of the general, the retired general who came in and started using uh, Darth Vader and the Seth as people. You're either you're either with us, we're at war with the virus, and if, if you're if you're not at war with the virus, then you're against us. I, I thought that was fascinating, and apparently he's been brilliantly successful. But also the commentary of around they remember that in Portugal they remember you know the time when when I mean first of all they got hammered by the first round of COVID. 
But secondly, they also, the wealth in Portugal has only been a recent thing, so they remember the times when people did die, when they didn't have the right healthcare system, when they couldn't vaccinate their children against normal diseases. So, uh, yeah, it's a really good, it's a really interesting perspective, I thought, the one on on Portugal, but the, the general's cool. Uh, the, the only problem I have with the general is that Darth Vader and all the stormtroopers wear masks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the rebels don't. So, yeah. so I don't know. Where I, I don't know. But yeah, yeah. fair enough. He's going good versus evil. Yeah. Yeah. You know, different cultures, different things work. All right. So let's move on to the environment. So, just a couple of things. The first one is there's been a report released by the Monetary Authority of Singapore that basically studies the exposure of Singapore's banks and insurers to climate-related transition risks. They found that nearly a third of the country's financial assets are vulnerable, and that's about the same as Europe. They also found that climate change could emerge as a threat to global financial stability within the next three to five years. So it's really, really close. And we've been talking about it, and I know a lot of people still think it's a long way away. It's we're knocking down its door. The sectors most exposed to these risks include, obviously, fossil fuels, utilities, energy-intensive manufacturing, housing, transport, and agriculture. I mean, you guys are all based in Singapore, but I, I do think the Singapore government is paying incredible attention to what's going on around the world as far as climate goes and um, is preparing Singapore as best it can. Um, but, yeah, I found that a really interesting report. And the three to five years was, you know, we've got we've got some uh, intense times coming up. Yeah. You guys have a look. Yeah, I, I read that article. There's a second there's a second part to the article as well, which is is pretty close to my heart. Is it's how the 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 other major threat to economies is crypto, but I, I don't want to get into that. Yeah. Uh, with regards to to the environment, uh, you know. Singapore is always known as this conservative, uh, you know, a country that approaches things conservatively. Um, and I think in terms of financial uh, positioning, we, 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 we try to work on this idea of not being too leveraged. And I think what people forget sometimes is you can be leveraged on things that you don't realize uh, that the leverage is built on. And so the awareness of, of, of how climate change is going to affect all the underlying assets on which a lot of leverage is based uh, is is what's coming to the fore this time, and and that's really what people are beginning to realize as as they, as they as they begin to look at you know two or three steps beyond the next step. So if I'm looking at derivative, there's nothing here. I look at the one beyond that. I go like, and then I and eventually I come to something which is going to be affected by the by the environment, and perhaps not directly uh, as well. I, I think part of that, I, I mean, I, I think what, what, what we take away from the report sometimes is what we want to see from it as well. We think that, therefore, they are worried about the environment. Um, it may not totally be that. It may also be about attitudes towards the environment that will affect those underlying assets. So, you know, like, like when they talk about how oil and gas may be affected, it's more the popularity of it. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's, it's how, you know, it may no longer be a viable sector because it's no longer popular, right? You can't be, you can't be that asshole anymore, right? Yeah. But the stranded assets have been talked about a lot in the last few months in particular. And uh, just, just the economic fallout from that's just going to be, yeah, it's going to be catastrophic. Now, if, uh, if you've got a loan that's based on, on, on getting oil out of the ground, uh, it's, not as good, uh, you know, a form of surety as before. Yeah. Anyone else? 
No. All right. Uh, so I, um, um, I found I found with that one the 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 banks, the thing that was interesting there is that the banks of thirty percent of their loans were extended to those sectors. Yeah, and that roughly the same as European Union banks. Um, so the exposure there is who they're lending money to, and from the green side, the green side's been trying to say don't lend money to these places because that's going to make it more difficult for them to do. The, the destructive stuff that they're doing. But if this is saying that those sectors are vulnerable and as a result, maybe don't lend money to them, then there's a obviously a requirement now to look at what sectors we should be lend, lending money to yeah. and and starting to shift that that loan ratio, I suppose. And as a result, that that's going to be interesting. Um, but I don't think use of oil is going away anytime soon. So... Yeah. So the reality is, but what would be most interesting to me is the huge, a huge and concerted argument on subsidies, subsidies that are provided. Because if we stopped providing the subsidies to oil and gas, we're really creating a platform where, where um, you can actually compare apples with apples. Oh, oil and gas is so cheap. That's why we use it. Is it? I mean, we are providing huge subsidies, but there is a massive industry, even in Singapore. We have a massive refining industry here, um, a transportation industry uh, of of yep. oil and gas. So it is a, you know, it's... Some of our best tires are based on oil and gas. I beg your pardon? <laughs> no, some of our worst and biggest industrial fires are based on oil and gas. Which is Sorry. why we put everything out on an island somewhere. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, but it's still a big part of the economy. So, uh, but Singapore, if you look at Singapore's history, Singapore has been very, very good at going. That's not going to work anymore soon. So let's just switch to this. And yeah. Singapore does it certainly used to do it. I mean, it was a little bit more easy to do it. One guy saying that's what we're going to do, and then everyone who did it. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, Singapore has been good at that. So we'll, it, it's one to watch. It certainly is. Hey, so we were missing our messages. So there's a message uh, which says Facebook user, but I'm I'm going to presume it's Philip Murray. Uh, not sure, Andrea, I have a 31-year-old Mercedes. So there you go. Um, but Avni's joining us. Hello, Avni. And I'm presuming it's Dr. Phil. So hi, Phil. And uh, CBL Tuan. Do you guys know Do you know her? Him? Can't see. Anyway, hi, hi everyone. Thanks for joining us. So yeah, interesting times ahead. Um, we'll keep an eye on those chats. Uh, but the other, the, the other headline in, from an environment perspective that Joe mentioned earlier is the Arctic heat record, which basically says is like the Mediterranean. So yeah. last June 2020, there was a day in a Siberian town where it hit 38 degrees Celsius, which is 100, 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And in this article, it's saying sounding alarm bells over the climate, um, Earth's changing climate. And so this has been officially verified by the, by the World Meteorological Organization basically a year and a half later. And it's 18 degrees Celsius higher than the average daily temperature for this region. It's also the first time that the agency has included the Arctic Circle in its archive of extreme weather reports. So it's a, it's a verification of something that happened a long time ago. But uh, it's a huge, it's a huge concern. Like it's what's going yeah, on mean, up there. I mean, this thing, this thing has been going on for for decades, right? I mean, as yeah. mountains, right? You only have to look at photographs of uh, glaciers from the nineteen twenties, thirties, or even in nineteen nineties, right? I've got photographs of you know, of the glaciers in the French Alps. 
and you compare them with what the glaciers look like now, just like 25, 30 years later, you can see the, the glacial recession has been incredible. And that has a huge impact because of one third or more of the world's freshwater supplies are locked up in snow and ice in, in the Great Mountains. And, and having them melt away has a tremendous environmental impact, not only on the populations that live in the mountains and the regions, but also the downstream aspect, right, in terms of how it impacts uh, the flow of, of, of fresh water into the rivers and so on into the sea. Uh, that's where you can see it happening in the last few decades. But I'm a little bit more pessimistic to change. Uh, it can't happen overnight. Uh, it's going to, be, going to be really painfully gradual, right? Like the pain of changing is, uh, you know, the pain of, once the pain of changing uh, is exceeded by the pain of not changing, then you'll see some change. And I think it's going to happen uh, very slowly. It isn't helped, of course, when suddenly you discover things in the last decade like uh, fracking, right? Oh, we can now squeeze oil from or from tar sands that we didn't have the technology to do so 20 years ago. And then it just keeps on kicking the can further down the road, yeah? Um, so I'm generally a bit pessimistic about ultimate change. I, I see internal combustion engine cars and, and things like that still being around in 20 years' time, simply because it's going to take at least a generation to change. So people can scream and kick and say, what have we changed? And they have absolutely no idea it's it's like the rhinoceros, right? It's, it's, you know, it's going to take ages for it to change. Um, well, so, and you just imported an internal combustion engine. Exactly. Ah, yeah. but here's, 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 <laughs> I can only drive it for 45 days in a year. <laughs> See? Okay. That's because it yeah. doesn't work at the moment. So, yeah. So, <laughs> I mentioned he's got a 30-year-old Mercedes. Yeah, that's great. I think ultimately it's not so much about ownership of, of, of these kind of vehicles or engines. It's about how much you use them, right? Uh, yep. or, if you do that, for example, how often do you travel with these things, right? Yeah, so I, I'm going to throw this out about the about the idea of the combustion engine and how people talk about how it's easy that it's probably going to be around for a while. Um, you know, people in Nokia felt pretty certain about their phone business as well <laughs> until until things suddenly changed on them. And and the real big difference is going to be basically this: if the electric propulsion system can come to a place where its price uh, is going to be amazing. So if you think about your mobile phones, right? Uh, what really has really uh, expanded its ability is processing power, battery life, uh, that, that combination, right? Because you now have so much ability to carry so much power with you, both in terms of actual electrical power and in terms of uh, processing power, that has changed the way, uh, you know, like like even even the internet, the way it's been accessed, right? For, for the longest time, it was all about desktops. But when that flip happened, it became all about mobiles. So I, I think what's going to happen is, and I'm, what I'm hoping will happen is, the technology for, for cars is, is going to leapfrog. There has to be some way electrically or even maybe just, you know, I, if, if some guy who's thinking hard about this enough and figures out a way to make an atomic car, you know, like back to the future, um, I, I think that would be fantastic. That would be fantastic. You, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, uh, you could for a while say i'm i'm going to i'm going to stick to my my combustion engine because it's 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 uh it still it still works and it's uh it's about the same price but if you came up to me with a car like a tesla and it costs half the price of a bmw that runs on fuel there there is no competition it, it's it's going to it's going to edge it out right but then, i got to say something very contrarian here right you know uh, one reason why a lot of people like the classic cars simply this the driving experience is completely different. The sensory feedback you get is completely different. And frankly speaking, if you look at electric cars, 
of any brand, right? They're just deathly boring. Yeah, they're powerful, they're fast, but they're just deathly boring when you sit in them, basically. There's no feedback. There's no immediate feedback to the uh, driving experience. Why do people fly with a World War One biplanes, for example? You know, uh, it's a different sensation and experience. So it's more than sure. just moving from A to B. If from A to B, yeah, the way to go is electric. You know. But well, I, I, I agree with you completely, David. But you know, if you talk about things like cigar smoking, right? I, I recognize it's a nice sensory thing. It's very, it's very hardcore. It's very deep. It's all the stuff you want about uh, is tingling the senses and all that. But it's not necessarily popular, you know. Yeah, I would argue that ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people don't fly biplanes. <laughs> uh, but, but, but at the same time, the, I, I, I really get David's point. David's point is about it's a Marie Kondo of driving. You know, does it spark joy? And and it is sparking joy. Even fiddling yep. with the car is sparking joy. So there, there is you know, an yeah. element of the sensory experience and experiential aspect to it all. That that it that is it's what makes life worth living. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although there is a generation that would prefer to be on their phone. Yeah. And well, then driving yeah. the car. Let, let, let me let me let me let me put to you another idea, right? If we were if if sorry, this is a crazy idea, right? But if Apple ever got into the car business, you would I, I would bet what they would do was they would create a lot of features in there which had nothing to do with moving the car forward, but to give you those things that make the joy of driving, so to so to speak, come alive. You'd have you'd have sensory feedback coming through that was meaningless at all, but it was good for the user experience. Uh, <laughs> you, you 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 have it, you 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 actually have it right now already in some of the BMWs as well. I think BMWs are Audi. I can't remember who it is, where they literally play the sound of an engine uh, through, through the system because that's that's what brings joy. You mean it's like, uh, it's like having, having real sex and virtual sex kind of thing, right? And now they're trying to amp that up. <laughs> Wait a minute. Well, we went we went to cigars and ended up at sex. That was only a Freudian possibility. But I I do I do I get the Apple thing that 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 um they they, they create meaningless things to give us the sensory experience of driving. So we're going to have haptic haptic touch steering wheels that don't actually steer the thing. Yeah, but just just to, just just to move beyond this conversation a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, in Europe, they've it's gone well past thirty percent of new cars are electric vehicles. Someone here, so uh, it, it only says Facebook users, so I can't see who's posted. It says hydrogen will take the lead, but I've been recently um, reading some stuff around hydrogen that it's a real cult and it it's nowhere near going to be part of the story in the future. So there's some different opinions on that, um, but. What David was saying back back at the beginning is that, you know, the change is going to be slow. The change can't be slow. And the biggest risk we've got is um, new cars in, in across Asia, right? You know, it, it doesn't matter how many Europeans move to electric vehicles as every, if everybody in Asia moves to combustion engines. And, you know, that just from a numbers perspective, it's going to be it's going to be chaotic. And we've seen those photos of Beijing in the 70s and 80s when everyone's on their bikes to now where, where it's just back back to back traffic. So... Um, but, um, you know, Thwaites Glacier, so the Doomsday Glacier. So the scientists should be back there now, I'm presuming, based on this time of year. And they think that by the time they come back, uh, come out, that they, they will have a much better idea. So basically, once that breaks off and goes into the ocean, when, when you're talking about how you think it's going to all happen slowly, that could be rapid. The Himalayans um, have already passed the tipping point. So that's going to that's gonna melt no matter what. And, um, you know, we know that there's more than 2 billion people at the bottom of that relying on it, on the water from that. So 
I don't know if it's going to be slow, David, from what I've been reading. I think it's going to be a lot faster and a lot more horrifying. And um, the climate refugees that are going to come out of it are going to overwhelm the world. And uh, that's going to be the start of some pretty big stuff. But That's a great um, thought to, to take away from that, right? Um, what was that great saying? The, the electric light bulb was designed under candlelight. Yeah. We're still, we're still going to use fossil fuels for at least, I see the foreseeable decade, two decades at least, basically, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, just the whole plastic production from the fossil fuel industry, they're banking on it so that they can keep their businesses going. So there's no question we're going to have the oil and gas industry into the future. It's just about we've just got to scale it down wherever we can, as quickly as we can. So, but, uh, And if we don't, we know what's coming, right? Well, we don't really know what's coming. <laughs> but it will be gradual, but it will also be faster than people think. Yeah, I, w- I want someone to come along with that technology. It's going to be able to, to to fit on the back of a car so that as you drive, furniture comes out of the back of it. <laughs> you know, it just converts it and uses it in the more useful way. Yeah, but but uh, but but don't worry. Look, you know, I I think we're definitely getting the mar- we're definitely getting the message as far as the environment crisis goes because you know the super yacht industry is booming and. Uh, Gina Reinhardt, the lovely lady, is annoyed that basically the marinas in Australia can't deal with super yachts, and a super <laughs> yacht is more than 50 metres long. So just, just so you know, the average billionaire has a carbon footprint thousands of times that of the average person. So, But, and, and people keep making that point, that the, the non-billionaires, there's, there's billions of us too, and even though we might not have the same size of footprint, there's lots of us with a sizable footprint and uh, we've all got to bring it down, especially if we're in the wealthier countries. So let's hope we get the message one day, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. When I get my, my super yacht, I might change my mind, but um, they're still planning on building it. I'm going to import it like David did 30 years later. The uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, the super yacht one is one I it always can, it always confuses me when i go to marinas and see them there i'm just like what are they what do these people do i'd just be interested to know what they do for a living but anyway <laughs> presumably oil and gas well uh, and, and very and very very recently uh trading <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 there's a lot of them here uh, oh, excuse me all right. all right you ready to move on yep so in my weekend reads, I'm going to share a speech by Maria Reza, who's one of the Filipino journalists that got the uh, Nobel Peace Prize. And she delivered a speech. It's less than 20 minutes. And it's one of the most powerful speeches I think I've ever watched. Did you guys have a chance to have a look at it? Yeah. yeah thanks Thanks very much. for you know. I, it wasn't for the homework. Sometimes I wouldn't get around to clicking on these things. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, that was, that was uh, the best – 15 minutes I've spent because I tend to play at 1.25, but it's a good speed. <laughs> You're a 1.25-er. Yeah, so definitely watch it. But just before we go into, into our theme, I wanted to just sort of mention there's a LinkedIn published an article called 29 Big Ideas That Will Change Your Our World in 2022. Um, it's the time of year where everyone loves publishing this stuff. I find most of it very, very tedious. Uh, and for a long time now I haven't participated, but I thought there was some interesting pieces so there's three predictions one is brace yourself for season two of the great reshuffle which is obviously talking about millions of people have left their jobs they're looking at different ways of working 
one of the biggest opportunities in the future if you're looking for a job opportunity if you want or going to university uh career career counseling as a profession looks like it's going to be a booming industry uh another one frontline employees will enjoy new clout and this is based on the story that amazon has tripled its offering to the seasonal workers who sign up and then the four-day work week will become a competitive advantage uh and they're going talking about the great resignation all of these predictions, which I'm seeing a lot of, there's another perspective to this that's being discussed as well, which I don't think it gets as much attention. So basically the message is the employees are in the driver's seat for the first time in a long time. So people are being paid more, uh, there's job, there's better opportunities in the jobs. Um, and so there's a lot of advice around it, right? But every time this has happened in the past, it doesn't take long before the employers get the control back. And one of the predictions is, with, if, you don't, if you can't get the people, you work out other ways to do the work. And that's um, uh, obviously automation, robotics, uh, offshoring, sending it to somewhere else. So I think look, look at this advice with um, careful eyes and just sort of take care of yourself because there's, there's different parts to this story that I don't think are being communicated. And I think a lot of people will make a decision based on the trend um, and might get hurt when it when it sort of rolls out. What about you guys? What did you pick up? Well, on, on this particular topic, and this is this is what what's happened because of friction. It's because of the inability of workforces to run from one place to another uh, that leads to this inability uh, or, or uh, inflexibility in terms of of who you can hire. Right. So that that has made the, the the worker more powerful so i've been i've been hearing stories of, and, and and unverified by the way but uh, i've been hearing stories where they give you a chance to win uh, a phone or i think it was an iphone or something like that to show up for an interview at mcdonald's but this was in the us right they they they're, they're so short on staff they need to get people in um i i i think the what was interesting about it is uh, there, there's, there's, they need to think a little bit about what's going to happen post-COVID once things become uh, easy again, once we go back to moving around, does that change the way we do things? Uh, also, in terms of how, like you said, the companies are going to figure out different things. Um, I've been, for me, I've, I've, I've really come to enjoy working from home. You know, I'm, I'm doing more things and achieving more things from home than I've ever done before. And I'd be loath to go back <laughs> to something where I can only get to do one thing because that's all the time I have for it, right? So I, I think there's there's a lot of that happening as well. People are figuring that they can uh, make a go of it because they've had to make a go of it, and uh, that's that's to me that's what what I took away from that. Yeah. I um, go ahead, David. All right. Yeah. I mean, uh, there were 29 items there, and the one that actually really uh. Really, that I caught my attention was um, uh, the the what called self maintenance of your own hotel room. Now they call it a trend, right? But it's been around for quite a while, uh, especially in countries which have a chronic uh, labor shortage. So, like in Japan, three three years three years ago, when I was there for a ski trip, we stayed in a in a mid range type of hotel, and what the hotel did was they actually rewarded you. The more nights that you stay in which you did not require a change of linen. Now, let's face it, right? You know, in many five-star hotels you've been to at all, it, it, they change it every day, whether or not they need to. And whether the person staying there for just three days, they still change it every day. Think about the amount of fresh water it takes to wet 
a large 600 yam count bed sheet. And not even including the detergent that is used to clean it. Now, imagine more and more people elected to do that. Now, this hotel in Japan, what it did was this. If let's say you're there for five days and you chose not to have your sheets changed in five days, they would award you with little points and things like that, which you could go downstairs and you could trade it for small items from a little shop they had there, which is fantastic, basically. You know, small meal counters, a, a beer coupon or something like that. And I think it's a wonderful idea because in the hotel industry, the, the, the sheer amount of uh, what, what I consider unnecessary washing, sheer amount of unnecessary use of detergents, the whole downstream impact on demands on fresh water, on downstream filtration of detergents into the into the waterways, right? It's amazing. So it's it's a small shift, but in a very strategic area, if this was adopted globally, yeah. So that really comes. So it's not new, but hopefully it's going to be a more popular trend. Yeah, I agree. Tim? Uh, I was going to mention something that Joe had said, but I've forgotten immediately what it was. Oh, the great reshuffle. So the whole... I've been talking to people in Australia and they were saying that the problem in Australia at the moment is that it's fully employed and it's hard to find people. And so this is going on with what you're talking about with regards to um, that shift. I think that particular trend is largely, is very hugely linked. And one, one thing we haven't seen is the big link with the fact that crypto stopped us traveling. There is a huge migrant worker population that work, that moves around the world. And we've been I think you meant COVID stopped us traveling. COVID, what did yeah. I say? Stopped it. Crypto. You Crypto, I meant COVID. Uh, COVID <laughs> stopped the traveling. So so COVID stopped everybody uh, traveling about. The crypto thing is the last thing I saw on the screen. Um, and as a result, that, that, that they're not available to people. And what Andrea said is sort of necessity is the mother of invention. People will work out ways to be able to do it. But um, the so the places that that relied on sort of student tourism uh, in a big way was the, was, was the you know, grape growing and fruit picking industries in, in Australia. And they're really suffering because those people aren't migrating and moving about. Um, uh, and, and that's just a small example. In the professional world, there's lots of, lots of people coming in and doing uh, like the, um, the temporary workforce is they're, they're all getting secured into full-time positions. So that ability to piano accordion your workforce uh, in accordance with demand is kind of gone because we're not, those populations aren't coming in. And, and because it those populations usually take up the, the lower end of the job spectrum, uh, usually because they're willing to sort of accept anything, they're not there. So locals, so they're, required to take on locals. What, what can happen is a bunch of different things. Prices just go through the roof. But also when COVID, not crypto, when COVID uh, sorts of releases travel again, that particular trend may not be a trend so much anymore because yeah. then you've got that population moving again. And, and travel is the big rubber band at the moment where there's so much pent-up demand ready to be released. Um, my, yeah. my myself, I just bought bought a ticket to. I don't know whether it'll. That that's the tr trouble with buying tickets for travel at the moment. I don't know whether the the travel will actually materialize in the end. But um, just bought a ticket to Australia to visit my parents for the first time in a couple of years, um, and for seven hundred fifty bucks on Singapore Airlines, which is just amazing return trip. Mm -hmm. um, so, and there's this great, there's this interesting opportunity. There's this interesting 
huge demand waiting to go, but there's a work there's also a global workforce that is their psychology may have changed, but there's a global workforce that may start to move. So yeah. I, I think the global workforce is poised to move, but it's going to move for very different reasons than what it might do do before. I, I think the what 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 COVID's done is given you enough time to stay still for a while and begin to really think about things. As in, like I think three months or two months into COVID, you're going like, oh, the moment I get a chance to get out, I'm going to go and do something there or whatever it is, right? But if you're yeah, two years into time. it and you begin to think a little bit more about what you really want to do, uh, I mean, we have we have a friend, uh, we have a, we have a, someone in APSS as well, Sean, right? I mean, Sean Sean's basically said, I'm going to do what I really want to do. And he is in Vietnam right now with a startup. You know, he's, he's, he's left Singapore, gone to Vietnam. And now we, we, with the answer to the question, you know, when are you coming back? Don't know, right? Uh, yeah. But that's the kind of choice that he made because, well, things are what they are right now. And he's had a chance to think about it, really think about it and experience it and go like, okay, that's what I'm doing. Hello, Joe. There's somebody here on this screen that's been living the nomadic life, lifestyle for many, many years. And uh, I started the journey in 2006. In 2009, I moved to Phuket for the first time and figured we just need an internet connection at an international airport. A little bit too early. Um, but, you know, like I'm looking at all the predictions and it's something that my husband Steve and I agreed years ago that we that's the life that we wanted to have, not not anchored into a place, you know. And I do think people will hopefully have the courage to sort of step out and, and, and do these, live these different lives because they are available to us. But mm. I was I was in Boston during the dot-com boom and the dot-com bust and in the boom time, and it was incredible being there at that time, um, all this arrogance started to come to the surface and then when the crash happened, it just destroyed people's lives because they weren't paying attention. And I think a lot of the information that's coming out is, it's it's too it's too one sided and I don't think everyone's looking at the whole story. We need to move towards automation and robotics. Mm. We need to do that, right? But how are we going to take care of the population if we do that? Because then we could potentially go towards a dystopia, right? We want to be a utopia, so we need to start planning for things like a universal basic income and recreating our societies so that we business can move forward and modernize, but we can also have different lives that you know we haven't had before. So. Anyway, I, I just thought it's a it's a really interesting conversation. Another thing that um, in that article, uh, Richard Branson was quoted, I hope 2020 will be the year that business leaders... <laughs> no, no worries. Gesundheit. The business leaders and entrepreneurs everywhere will learn to speak up on the issues that should matter to all of us. Where business leaders raise their voice and stand shoulder to shoulder with others, real change can happen. So for me, that was the most important message in the entire article because that's basically... If we don't do that in 2022, we're in trouble. Yeah. Well, when you were, when you were talking about the um, uh, about the world changing and moving towards a different dystopian life or utopian life, I I thought you were going to bridge it to a nice introduction to to David really and the idea <laughs> of retirement because it really looked like we were heading that way. Uh, might this be? I'm not sure whether we're done with uh, with yeah. with, the, with the news. We can. Uh, Shall we go to David and talk about this? Because I'm 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 getting to the point where I feel like retiring. Oh, are you? <laughs> are you retiring a car, or what are we talking about? Retiring cars or retiring? Or, or t-shirts. Um, <laughs> I love right. your t-shirts. Okay, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a good one. Go. So, 
happy to have David here with us this week. I mean, David or David's a big. Uh, he's one of those people I talk with a lot and share things with a lot on social media because he's paying attention. Although he told me when I asked him to come on that he's not paying as much attention to the news as he used to. Um, but David's moved into semi-retirement, and from what I'm seeing, you've been busy, busier than you've ever been with work. <laughs> so I just wanted. I just thought it'd be really interesting for us to hear. You know, because. You, you've taught all of us um, about negotiation in our profession. Um, I know that you talk a lot about uh, finance finance and investing and property and all sorts of stuff, but I just wanted to we just hear, you know, what are the plans? Um, what did you do to get ready? What would you advise our audience, like, if they're starting to think towards that? And then think about what we've just been talking about from a climate perspective. Uh, there's some risks coming up in the future that, I don't know, are people paying attention to it, especially from an investment perspective? So I'll just hand it over to you. All right. So oh, I'm not sure where to start with this. So you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I'm officially like, I'm officially on a, in a permanent state of semi-retirement. That was since December 2019. And that's when I did uh, one of those, one of the best keynote sessions for a large corporate event in Bali. Beautiful day, beautiful location. Audience laughed when they should have been laughing, all right? So all the, all the buttons all pressed nicely. And I thought, you know what? Now is the right time to actually publicly announce that you are officially semi-retired. And so this is it. So this is the, really the, the public declaration of, some, of a journey that began 12 years earlier. Um, and that journey began in a beer, uh, in a, with a beer in a bar in Johannesburg, believe it or not, you know, with my fellow professional speaker, Frank Furness, that we were talking about the business and everything. And then he said something which was really interesting. He said, you know, David, the problem about people in our profession, that is the, the profession of topic experts who speak, train, consult, yeah, to, to, to earn a living. He said, the problem with people in our profession is that very few of us have developed a good exit strategy. And that, and that got us thinking because at some stage in our lives, we're going to either want want to stop doing what we're doing because either we stop liking it, um, uh, we get tired of it, of some or worse, some health issue in our family or in ourselves causes us to stop uh, doing it. And when that happens, really, you know, the tap runs dry, right? You know, when, when most of your income comes from being paid to go somewhere to deliver some wisdom or something personally, and most of us have that kind of business structure, you know, it's just us being the content expert and maybe one or two assistants or support people. Uh, where do you go from there? And straight away, I knew, I, mean, I, I was already on a journey, but it really focused a high amount of intentionality in, into not creating a, seri- a, a sequence where you can retire early. You know, the, the hot word these days is FIRE, right? F-I-R-E, you know, financial independence, retire early, right? I mean, yeah, I was heading in that direction. So I think the focus so much on time I think the focus is so much about getting financially independent quickly. So, so you then have options. It's not about stopping work. It's about having the option of not working or having the option where if for some reason your main source of, of income stops for some reason. Give other sources of income that can actually continue to help you maintain your lifestyle and your intentions, intentions in living. Uh, without you needing to do anything more. So that that really got me going. So I think from around 2007, I said, okay, here's my intentionality that, that we will be, my wife and I, financially independent before I turn 50. So I reached that at 49. So why did I take another six years before I declared <laughs> I will semi-retire? Because I think I was enjoying, I was enjoying the travel, 
the business, you know, the, uh, the the fees and everything is great. Eh? But I knew by I knew by the time I was fifty, something that happened to make me stop speaking for fees, and life would continue as per normal. And I think it really begins with intentionality. Take a look at your lifestyle. What do you need to maintain that? And then where do you need to go? What do you need to do to get you that kind of income from multiple sources? So that if anything happens, your main source of income, you can still carry on as per normal. So I think it has to start with it. It has to start with a plan, intentionality, keeping it simple. And of course, on the investment side, you know, diversifying, right? Diversifying, as mentioned, not putting all your eggs in one country, one basket, one asset class, for example. Um, and I think that's the way to go. It's about being sensible about it. It's not about being not being too greedy about it, right? And in terms of sustainability too, right? And you've got to understand that as you get older, the, the world is becoming a more uh, volatile place. Where are you going to put your nest eggs? You know, where are you going to put your, your energies to get the kind of uh, income into what I call your state of semi-retirement and eventually retirement, right? Where you really don't want to do any more economically profitable kind of work. And so that's why, so I think emotionally, you know, Andrea, from the point, looking at emotionally, it hasn't been that easy a journey because I found it quite hard to switch off. Switch off meaning I found it quite hard to give up stuff to turn away work, for example. You know, it got it's got it's become easier over the last two years. Uh, and it's much easier now for me to say no. But initially it was difficult because you have to think, wow, you know, like shy chases deal kind of thing. Oh, I really want this gig kind of thing. And eventually you realize, you know, you just have to let it go. Just let it go. And you begin to Take the almost like Buddhist sense of disinterestedness in the money aspect. Because you do, technically you don't really need it anymore, basically. And once you get some kind of emotional reconciliation with that, I think that's where you really are on the path of mental freedom from, from that, that journey you've been on for the last 30 years. And you're truly in a state, a happy state of uh, you know, fire, you know, financial independence, retire early kind of thing. So yes, I, I intend and I'm still keeping really busy. In fact, too busy this month. Um, but yeah, it's about adjustments. So the last year and a half has been quite a lot of adjustments for me to make. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, right. I so I suppose that's... that's, that's, that's oh, oh. Where am I? Coming back from... Let me see if I'm echoing. Am I echoing too? No, <laughs> it's just you. All right, but I'm not echoing now, right? No, I think it might have been a mute to unmute thing. So I think it's uh, the... The, the message is like once you've made the decision, it's not it's not a, it's it's not just an overnight thing. It's a gradual process because I, I, I'm you know you talk about some of those earlier times where ego is still in the way, right? Letting go, you know, you've been a star on stage for so so many years, right? Um, but I remember you came to visit us in Phuket just before the pandemic began, and you were telling me like you you were letting your hair go grey for the first time as well. You know, which, 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 yeah. you know, I know, I know in Asia, a lot of, a lot of men dye their hair to keep, to keep it for some yeah. reason. It's a, it's a real trend, but that was also part of your liberation too, right? And I, sound, I know it sounds silly, but it, it was part yeah, of your liberation. It's a, it's, a, it's a small thing like that. Um, I, I think you really need to have intentionality and also the kind of lifestyle that, that you want, because if you really want a high roller lifestyle, because you have a high roller type of income, that's great. But understand that that's not going to bring you to the state of fire um, sooner. It's going to make you having, you need to work a lot longer before you get to that stage. And now I've got three friends who are down with cancer, uh, some with uh, with cancer that's actually, it doesn't have a very good five-year prognosis at all. 
uh, you know, my father passed away two years ago. So I suddenly begin to realize is that if you're intelligent, smart, and you're talented in some way, you can always make money, but you can never ever buy a single hour of time in your life. And that's mm-hmm. when you get to really focus, wow, I have so little time. I think the best story was, I was still, again, I was in South Africa, but not 10 years ago, but more recently, where a friend, uh, Nick French, you may know Nick French, remember Nick French, uh, Tim? Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. He told me a story about this, he heard about, about the cake, right? So he said, imagine how your life is like a cake and divide the cake into eight slices. Take away two slices. The two slices you take away, the eight slices represent about 80 years. So each slice is about 10 years. So you take away two slices because for the first 10 years of your life, you're just a kid. You don't really know what's going on. Then take away a second slice because that's your last 10 years in which maybe your health and other issues don't really make the last 10 years a very pleasant final 10 years of your existence. So now you're left with six slices. 60 years representing your most productive, enjoyable portion of your life. How, how many slices have you done? How, how, how many slices have you consumed? How many are left? And when you suddenly realize how many slices are left, that really gets you thinking, doesn't it? Uh, I'm stuck on how many slices on the cake. There's eight. <laughs> yes. Eight slices on the cake. The first two slices are gone because you're take a kid. Out, yeah, you, take out, no, you just take out two slices. Anyway. The two slices represent your first 10 years and the last 10 years of your life. Oh, but there's only 10 years as a kid. Okay, I, I've so, been 40 years as a kid. So you've got, <laughs> you've got two slices left, Tim? Yeah, I think I've only got two slices left. Yeah. Um, so that, again, stories that get you really thinking, right? Um, Maybe gosh. three. Yeah. yeah. No, I ate three. one of the slices. Well, you, you know how I've been doing? I've been doing all that work with healthy longevity and all the stuff that's coming that way, right? Uh, what What's really upsetting is uh, there's going to be, an, is that, well, maybe not upsetting, but what could be disrupting is uh, you could be getting a new slice of cake. You could be getting a whole new cake. Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you could oh. need, you, you could need cake to last a whole lot longer. You know, as well. So I, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's really changed my perspective on things because uh, it used to be I really thought that I, I, I was running out of time, and then I began to realize that I really had so much time, even on the regular clock. Uh, and when I do this stuff with with uh, healthy longevity right now and what they're working on, um, you, you really have to start planning for a little bit further than you thought. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. I think a good way to look at it is this, you know. Take a look at the last three years, three, four years of your life. Every job, how much money you've been spending, not needing or what, spending in the last say, three or four years on average, on average, right? Now, think about how many more years you have to live. For some reason, if you've liquidated all your assets, turn it into just pure cash, stick it in a big biscuit tin, how much would that cash pile last you? Now, if, if the number gets you to around 96, 97, 98 years old, you're in a pretty good position to do fire right now, in that sense, yeah. If you're way, way, way behind, right, you know, uh, then you, I wouldn't say you're in trouble, but I think you need to do a lot more thinking and work on the financial part of it, actually. Either looking at how you're spending. I think a great uh, tool I applied was every time I would spend anything more than, say, $1,000, I'd ask myself this, okay, how does buying this help me get to financial independence before I'm 50? So, you know, this is a wonderful year. If you want to spend anything, there's about $1,000 a month. Right, how would buying this make me get financially independent by time? It's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good touchstone yeah. to apply. Did, did you ever make up an answer? 
really want this. I don't need it, but I really want. <laughs> I really, yes, I really I, need I to have this new thing. iPhone because uh, you know what will my retirees' friends think? You know. <laughs> <laughs> I am pretty fortunate that my wife and I have had a lifestyle that you know apart apart from a few nice holidays a year, it hasn't changed a lot in 20 years. But the business has been really, really good for the last like 10, 15 years. So that really in a sense sets you up for um for fire. Uh, there's some people I know in my family where you know they, they get a they get a salary, they get they change jobs and their salary doubles. But what did you do? They straight away get a mortgage that's three times their previous one. So <laughs> bigger house, right? But bigger mortgage. So you know, it really depends on the kind of lifestyle you want. But I can tell you one thing again, right? You can never make another hour of time. You can yeah. always make. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I guess I should stop spending on App Sumo then. <laughs> <laughs> stop recommending uh, it to me. <laughs> I know. I just uh, it's it's my it's my little addiction now. Um, yeah. But okay, interesting. That's really interesting. So what what do you think um, for? What do you think the multiple is, David? The multiple, the multiple? based on what, where where somebody is now. What you know? What are they going to need? Ah, all right. It all okay. depends, so, a lot yeah. depends on where they are and what they're spending and what their lifestyle level is and how long they have left. I suppose. But I, th I think a good benchmark is a three percent benchmark on it, which means you take a look at your so-called your retirement, your your nest egg, your building for your retirement, and take a look at it. You know, like. Okay, currently based on averages, right? If you're taking up roughly like two and a half to three percent a year, what happens then is that first of all, can you live an enjoyable life that's similar to what you're living now, uh, with inflation included, on that three percent a year? That's 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 a good start. That is a good start. Uh, and then if not, ask yourself how old are you at that particular given stage? Because there's a way where you can maintain your quality of life, but what happens is that. If that three percent isn't enough, you increase that to say four percent. But understand, you're running down the principal sum. Now, if you don't have children that you want to leave a legacy to, that's fine. Uh, but so that's one way. One way is that where you just have a totally sustainable fund. That means you could live indefinitely on three percent on X dollars, right? That's a happy place to be. Because if anything happens to you, right, that principal is still left there, say for your children, for an inheritance, a legacy, charities. But for some reason, you have no interest in that, and you have no dependents. And one way to actually maintain that lifestyle that you want, although you don't have that, you can't get that from 3% of your existing pile of uh, funds, is that you, you, you start taking the principle. You start eating the principle, knowing that by the time you're like 100 and 102, that will all be gone. So ideally, you know, you, you wind up, you know, on your deathbed with, you know, $5 in the pocket, you know, and that's in a, in a perfect kind of world in calculations, right? Uh, we can't always predict how long we'll live, obviously, how much money we'll need. But that's one very simple yardstick. Take a look at your retirement fund. Look at 3% of that. Is that 3% enough to sustain you, basically, uh, on top of any other streams of income coming in, basically? Yeah. So that's a good way to start. Mm. All right. It's sobering, right? It's 3% for what? Why is it 3%? Because you think okay. that's what you can get from a term deposit or something. Yeah, yeah. there are some there are some online uh, calculators you can use. You can throw in a few multiples here and there. Here, it used to be higher, but now because of the the, the, the global interest rates are ridiculously low, what they use the bond yields are right, hopeless, right? So the conventions, the old conventions, don't apply anymore. So now, if you're on the safe side, even two and a half to three percent is actually a quite a conservative approach to taking a look at. You know, well, what can I live on in retirement? That's Comfortable, you know, that's within my scope. You know, with maybe a small cash 
stash of funds for what kind of big ticket items, right? Every say every 10 years you want a new car, hypothetically. Every 20 years you want to renovate your home, for example, things like this. I mean, this is I'm assuming that you've actually settled all your liabilities already, yeah? In in terms of the roof of your head and whatnot. So your wealth never includes my calculations for wealth never includes your home. Take that out of the equation, basically. Take a look at everything else and then build on that. And then you take a look at what you have in your portfolio. Some people are really like, oh, they really love real estate. Some people really love uh, equities, for example, or such uh, financial instruments. But I think diversity always helps. Diversity in asset class, diversity in, in territorial uh, aspects, diversity in even currency to a small to a small or large degree. Um, and everyone's unique. Everyone's a unique situation. So my situation is not necessarily applicable to everyone else, obviously. Okay, yes. Yeah. So giant disclaimer here. Uh, we could all be wrong. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, go, go and do your own research on financial advice. But yeah, interesting, David. That's really interesting. And it's, I mean, I remember when, when I used to live in Hong Kong, yeah. um, and I noticed that LinkedIn article talks about, forget Hong Kong, Singapore's the new darling. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I used to live in Hong Kong, it, I sort of, decided that you know what was required to have this $250,000 a year lifestyle was $5 million in the bank and 5% interest coming out. Mm. Are so you talking Hong Kong dollars? Any any dollars, whatever your dollars are, it doesn't matter. It's, it's 5 million at oh. fi producing a 5% 5% interest uh, or dividend coming out of your stocks or whatever rent or whatever your investment vehicle is is $250,000. And so, uh, and then I thought, well, what about 3% inflation? So I did some sort of numbers. And I, okay, well, actually, you need 8 million. 8 million, <laughs> 8 million required. Uh, that was a bit of a big jump, but never mind. 8 million required to have 250,000 coming out with everything, uh, with that money eroding at 3% a year from from a, a normal a normal sort of inflation level. Yeah. You, you can compare numbers in so many ways, right? I mean, yeah. I think I remember five years or six years ago, I was just driving, I was having a very boring drive. I began to calculate, Dave, what's your net worth? Turn it on to just pure cash, right? Okay, based on how much you're spending a year, okay, so much. How much would it last if you didn't work at all? And this money wasn't in some investment producing two or 3% a year or 4% or 5%. It just sat there under your bed in a biscuit tin, right? Large. So I just yep. some I realized I didn't have to work. I didn't have to do any work for 96 uh, until I was 96 years old. Then I realized, oh, okay, I'm ready to kind of like stop working now. And this is like six, seven years, about five, six, seven years ago. But then you see that feeling passed because I was still having a really good time, enjoyable time, you know. But it was a good feeling to have because you, you didn't realize that you really have, you know, you have that, that those those options in life to just close the gates, you know, yeah. turn off the lights of the business anytime that you want. And it was a very good feeling to be. But emotionally, I took a much longer time to catch up. I think. In August, in 20, uh, I think August, about a year, uh, two, two, two years ago, I was looking for some ski mountaineering equipment. I said, wait a minute, what do I have in the sales pipeline, you know, in terms of work? So I looked at my calendar and there was nothing. There was absolutely no professional fee work coming in for the next six weeks. I looked at it for about half a minute. Then I went back to looking for the ski mountaineering equipment. Now, I think that was the day, the, the button, that, the, 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 that switch in my head had snapped, basically. And I think that's when I started making that strong emotional shift. Uh, but you can tell moments like that, right? Probably wasn't from, ready. From buying the equipment or from the freedom of against the work? I think it was just, I thought, oh, no, no fee work, no problem, basically. So I think I emotionally began to let go from that moment, really. You know, it, it, 
And even then after that, it was still wasn't an easy journey to so-called to let go in a sense, right? That's the part you said, oh, yeah. you know, I still, I still I still want to be in the thick of it kind of thing here. And you just learn how to let go. You learn, you know, you pick up different hobbies and interests and whatnot. And you, so life is so rewarding. Yeah. Do you think it's, I mean, the skiing one I get, because when you're buying ski equipment, you need to have no work to be able to use the equipment. Um, <laughs> but but I wonder, what, what's your opinion on the 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 identity psychology i suppose the idea of your identity is tied up in the work you do yeah. rather than who you really are and you're right about that facebook is a curse as well because you know facebook keeps feeding you these memories right and you have this constant barrage of you know wow you know for the last consecutive seven years you know i was in shanghai i was in chicago you know and you ask yourself wow are those days really over now kind of thing and you wow you like you know you get this like you know this is emotional withdrawal symptoms you are those glory days permanently over kind of thing? And yes, you do have this feeling of anxiety for, for, for a while, you know? And eventually, it begins to subside gradually. And like I said, I'm in a permanent state of semi-retirement. So the key emphasis is not retirement, it's semi, right? So I'm still taking work. Yeah. So I decided myself, you know, to just keep myself current. I just need two paid engagements a month just to keep me current. Because when I didn't do any work for six months last year, six months, there's no work at all, before. When I did do my first paid engagement, the client didn't notice it, but I noticed that I was misfiring my cylinders. I mean, I, I knew I was, my timing was off. I was missing some key chunks of lessons here. And the client didn't notice, but I noticed, I said, wow, I am rusty. And I need at least two gigs a month to just stay kind of like, you know, sharp, keep the edge sharp, so to speak. So I think that's a happy place to be, happy place to yeah. be. And of course, as the years go on, it could even be less than that. You know, eventually, maybe nothing at all. I, I think that's a, a good way to show yourself whether you're a paid employee or you run a business into that semi-retirement mindset. And Andre talked about it. What's the mindset is helpful, right? It's the sense that you have to learn how to let go. It's not necessarily easy, but hey, you have to start somewhere. Yeah, I like. I liked, I liked what you were saying earlier. It's also. It's also. I mean, have we all turned fifty? I'm sure we have, haven't we? Yes. Not, not externally. No, sorry. No, not externally. Just yeah. <laughs> mentally, absolutely not. There's something. My hand fit. My hat turned fifty like twenty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about turning fifty. It's 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 it, and it's the day. I mean, I remember the day I turned fifty. Mm. Someone said. Someone said to me, "Well, you know, people over fifty think," and and I was like, "Whoa, I'm already I'm already in this huge group of people <laughs> with the same opinion." Overnight, how did that happen, right? Um, so you, you know, the pigeonholing starts to begin once you get over fifty. But um, but the other thing that starts to happen is people around you do start to get sick, seriously sick, uh, and people start to pass away before fifty. It's it's rarer. After fifty, you know, the numbers are starting to move, right? And it does make you, and you know, and I think David, you couldn't have picked a better time to get. Mm. I mean, everyone's going to be rusty when it, when they get back to work after this pandemic is over, right? But um. You know, it's giving you that distance to well, sound still and weird stuff. Yeah, it's giving you that sort of. Um, it's it's been a good time to sort of go through the the withdrawal, I suppose, because everybody's been doing it. We're not all on social media talking about what we're doing, making you envious, right? But um, but yeah, prioritizing life, I think. But Joe, uh, that longevity stuff, man. I'm here for a good time, not a long time. I've always said that. Somehow no, but, but still, this, this is the thing, right? I mean, people are looking. People are looking at it, going like, "Oh, you! I don't want to live for a long time." But what they're working on right now, 
and, and seriously as well. I mean, as in what, what they managed to do with mice is that they've, they've been able to take mice that have grown blind with age and bring their eyesight back. They, 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 they've managed to bring back mice who are who are, are slow and tired with age, and now they're they're half their age. They, they're they're actually young again. It, it's not a case of keeping you alive for longer. It's about fixing the stuff. So so the, the thinking is actually about curing aging, rather than just saying you're going to manage living longer. Yeah. Wouldn't you love, wouldn't you love your liver to be back in shape when it was 25, right? I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd have that. Uh, if, 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 if uh, you know, your skin cells uh, all began to, 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 to reproduce again, instead of coming to the point where now they're just getting older, right? If, if you just kept having new skin cells coming on as well and reproducing themselves, uh, if your muscles would be the kind of muscles you had when you were a kid again. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that that, that is is what they're working on. So a pill that gonna, is going to cost less than a dollar a day uh, is going to remove one quarter of the reasons why people die. You know, they're, they're working on, on almost eradicating cardiac disease, right? <laughs> but it accelerates that, the other 75%. <laughs> <laughs> it'll make it more significant, right? You know, uh, but... But that's the kind of crazy thinking which, which I, I think sometimes we, 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 we just think it's crazy. But because of all the stuff that's happening, and COVID has actually helped in a big way because COVID's actually allowed us to learn a bit more about how our mRNA and all that kind of stuff works. Uh, they're developing vaccines for things you just don't think you would develop a vaccine for, you know? I mean, yeah. one of these days, you got to go, have you had your aging booster? <laughs> You know, what, what's really interesting there, though, Joe, weirdly enough, when you think about it, is that the wealthy countries will have the larger proportion of old people that have been genetically modified to remain old, um, and and everybody else is dying off, and we get this greater sort of yeah. separation between rich and poor places, which would be quite interesting. And a dollar a day sounds like an interesting proposition now, but I think when it comes out, it'll be significantly more than that. And... Um, no, there's but, some. There's some. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you what. I mean, like, like with 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 Jordan, uh, my my daughter, right? Uh, she suffers from a, 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 a genetic condition, right? And if we're trying to fix that condition, uh, there is sort of something that we could try and do. It's going to cost us two million dollars. It's a one-time treatment, right? Um, uh, could we do it? Do we know it's absolutely going to work? We 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 don't know for sure. Uh, that's one avenue, and that's one way of looking at genetics and stuff like that. But the other side is where actively they have these large, well-organized intellectual groups of people, uh, financial groups as well, with the objective of creating a, a, a better world, uh, which is accessible. And they're not, they're not trying to make it just something that the, the, the wealthy are going to, to, to benefit from only. They're going to try and make it. The, the, the stated objective is to make it inexpensive. They're not there to try and create a solution for one person. Uh, for, for that kind of solution, many companies already exist. If, if you want to step into a, a stem cell replacement uh, a clinic that will, that will work on you and extract your cells and, 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 and re-inject them and, and revive you and all that, you can. If you want to go to Russia to have a doctor inject uh, stem cells directly into your eye and, and help your retina recover your eyesight when you were, as, as you were when you were younger, there's somebody doing that. You know, but it's come, not just come to Thailand. I had my I had my entire spine injected with stem cells, my own. Yeah, so just yeah. come here. It's it's already happening. Yeah, 
how has that worked for you? And how has that worked for you? It fixed my neck and it fixed my upper back, but it's made my lower back worse. So, um, right. so I mean, and uh, look at the, let's look at the big numbers, right? You know, when I, everyone talk about being 50, right? Like kind of a milestone. For me, the milestone was 45 years. So I woke up one morning, 45, and then I did some math and I realized that the average age, the average lifespan of a Singapore male is about 83. Then you suddenly realize, oh my God, I've lived more years than there are left to live statistically. That's kind of depressing, is it? Since you've gone past that high point and now you're just going downhill. And, you know, no matter whether these life extension, life quality, you know, life enhancing treatments are available in the near future, ultimately we can't beat Father Time in that sense. So I think still the pressing, the pressing intentionality has to be let's make the most of the years that we have left. And if we have done enough planning with intentionality, uh, we are going to have a, try and work on a high quality second half, second phase of our life. I think I think that's the broadly where I think many people need to start really putting some intentionality into actually. So yeah, yeah sobering, right? When you reach <laughs> yeah. more life, you've lived more years than there are left to live. Wow. <laughs> uh, my, my, my grandma made it to 104, so... If I'm still yeah. picking by then, it'll be interesting. <laughs> I, I tell you one of the things that I've, I've experienced in, in my own life very recently. It, it, for the longest time, I felt terrible, just absolutely horrible at what my 25-year-old self didn't do, right? Uh, and my, I call it my, 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 my daytime nightmare uh, is when I think about loving Apple products as much as I did, having all the money that I had at the time and not buying a single share, right? Oh, we're, oh, we're, back, to, we're back to his Apple yeah, that way that's that's the, the, the nightmare, right? So uh, to 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 put it in context, I just I, I just just very quickly, ten thousand dollars down, nineteen ninety seven, just ignored it until now. Uh, most people can't guess the value of that of that investment right now, and the answer is more than twenty five million dollars, right? But wow. put that aside. Put that aside. Um, you idiot. <laughs> that aside, and now think about this, right? So I'm 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 52 today, and if I fully expect to live to, let's say I I don't I don't make the the, the extended numbers, I make it to 75 or 80, right? I have enough time to be angry at myself 25 years ago again. <laughs> bye 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 APL. Yeah. So this is That's what I'm, I'm I'm doing. I'm 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 thinking about things in terms of. Uh, a 25-year runway. I'm not. I'm not thinking about it in terms of what I'm doing today. Now, that's a that's uh, a really good point. That's a good point. And I mean, it's the it's the old adage: the best time to grow an oak tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Yeah. Yeah. The the yeah. I mean, I I like when Andrea said the the the, the big number 50 for David. It was 45. I, I had one moment at, at 47, um, where I realized it's a bit odd in the 40s. You're, you're early you're 40 your early 40s until you're 44 you're still early 40s when you're 45 you're mid 40s when you're 46 you're mid 40s but 47 you're late 40s so it's very <laughs> skewed uh and so and then you're late 40s so I was all of a sudden in my late 40s and I'm still okay but when I turned 50 this year so in April this year I was I was I, I didn't think anything of it much, but I I started to get a lot of external reinforcers when you're clicking what age bracket you're in, <laughs> and and so all of a sudden you know you're 50 to 59. I'm like what, yeah. <laughs> or or you know, above 50 or something. And and for some for some 
some things I get senior discounts for being treated. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is happening? And then um, for, for some media of them, right? Yeah, for some of them, they're a bit delayed. And then with COVID in there as well, um, do, you know, especially last year, um, but this year as well, but especially last year with, with, with it, where it just stopped my business uh, in, a, in a large way. And um, it was... It was very, especially the announcement that came out, non-essential businesses, you know, everything stopped. And I know that was everybody apart from supermarkets and doctors, but but it really just spoke to me to saying, actually, what you do is non-essential. It's non-essential. And, and for me, it was like everything I invest everything in, in getting better at and everything else is non-essential. And so then I was, now that's, that it's got a detrimental aspect to it and a positive aspect. The detrimental aspect is if you stay in that belief, that can be very mentally, un, you know, destabilizing. But at the same time, it was it was a great prod. Uh, it was it was David's boring drive, which is which is a lesson to everybody out there listening. Don't go and get the vintage car that gives you more responsiveness and your drive is no longer boring because you won't think of these things that David thought about. Um, when he had his boring drive in his electric vehicle, not, not quite electric, <laughs> but it was boring anyway. Um, the so the the but that prod, it's it's almost like life or experience or something is going to give you a prod, and maybe this show is giving you that prod. And I guess that's the intention of what David David's lesson is 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 prod yourself again, give yourself that yeah. prod or be prodded to think, to know. And to start having, when he talks about intentionality, just sort of sit down with a pencil and paper and start scribbling numbers and and durations and just get a visual on what the possibilities and probabilities are. And do you need to make a course correction? Because Joe's wisdom on, you know, when you're 75, looking back to when you're 50, what did you do differently? Or when you're 80, looking back to when you were 60 or 55, what did you do differently? It's really good. It's a really interesting one you can make the change now which is interesting so we all can i like it thanks all right right. i know david wants to sort of head off soon we've already kept him well over time um but would you say i just figure we can finish up with uh what's keeping you distracted at the moment so david just so you know this is you could be watching it i think it's i I actually think i know the answer it could be you know the car thing um but also what you're watching podcasts books whatever so Uh, actually it's humbling myself and learning new skills. So I'm being distracted by, for example, uh, getting into more like craft, you know, woodwork, uh, welding, for example. So I've got a welding project that's coming up. Never done that kind of thing before. So that's kind of like keeping me distracted. You know, it's partly connected to restoring old cars, but, you know, it's a new skill, like using welding tools and whatnot, power saws and that. So that's keeping me distracted, you know, being a student again. Nice. Nice, Tim. Foundation on Apple TV was keeping me distracted. I also read an article about why Vikings weren't where we're from. That was interesting reading for uh, news that was weird. So they're not all blonde hair, blue eyed, by the way. They were from all over the place. And the, the idea was li- being a Viking was a lifestyle, not a um, genetic trait, which was interesting. It wasn't ethnicity. It was a lifestyle. Um, and... Uh, but yeah, foundation, foundation, and wheel of time. So sci-fi, fantasy stuff. So foundation on Apple TV is quite interesting. Yeah. You know, we're talking about uh, Joe was talking about sort of taking cells and cloning and all of this sort of stuff. That was a big part of foundation 
uh, and the empire. But uh, yeah, I've been I've been doing that. What else have we been doing? I'll think about it while Joe tells his. Yeah. Well, I've hardly been getting any sleep in the past uh, couple of weeks because I have entered the dark corners of crypto known as DeFi, or <laughs> uh, where where basically all these financial products are being turned into little uh, engines and machines and, and, and whatever it is. Um, it's distracting because of what it can do. It's in, it's it's fascinating because of how it it, it works. Uh, and in terms of the the results as well, it, it deserves every kind of attention that I'm giving to it right now. Um, just to just to give you an example, what what happens in the DeFi world? Uh, my my account's grown sixty thousand dollars in the last week, right? Wow. And yeah, but I didn't get much sleep. So you know, there's a, there was a price to pay for it. Uh, and and I had a mentor that was really screaming at me for doing this wrong and that wrong, whatever it is, and I was learning and and, and getting it done. Um, I, I, I tried to create, I tried to think about what this is like. It's sort of like Lehman Brothers, but over a 24-hour period. You know, if you, if you, think, <laughs> if you think about how how things develop and move and 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 and, and, and tactics work, right? Uh, it is one of the most fascinating places. It, it is about game theory. It's about finance. It's about uh, exceptional profits. It's about structured Ponzi schemes, and they don't seem to see it as, as, as a bad thing, um, but it, it's a world. And, 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 and the thing about this is, as much as people look at it and go like, oh, this is a terrible thing that's happening over there, it is going to change the way things work when it settles down. Uh, like a, a part of the LinkedIn article was about how property was going to be managed in terms of NFTs. Yeah. And that actually was one of the early ideas of what a blockchain was going to be all about. You know, we're going to be absolutely sure that this property owns belongs to you, and we can't, we won't have to argue about that. There won't be anyone who can come along and steal uh, a property title from you because it's going to be immutable. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy uh, space. I do not recommend it for anybody who wants to keep uh, emotionally sane because the swings can really uh, take a toll on you. Uh, but it's not to be ignored. And, and the, the, so the, the other the question that I was going to ask everybody is like, if you had, you know, if you had your $10,000 to put on something that uh, you want to come back to in 25 years and just forget about it and see what happens, uh, where would you put it? You know? I'd put it with Joe. <laughs> I'd put it, I put it in a couple of cases of Chateau Latour or Lafitte. Mm. Come back to years. If, if I can tell you about one crazy idea, this is going to keep some of you awake, right? So there's an idea called stable coins, where um, it's a cryptocurrency that's based on certain, you know, stable currencies. And there, there actually is one well-regulated, MAS-regulated, that actually is a Singapore stable coin. So essentially, $1 in this stable coin is one Singapore dollar, right? Um, and we, we hear people kind of pursuing all the different kinds of interest rates you go everywhere. So would you like to know what the, con this is one of the most conservative products you could invest in, right? Uh, the Singapore stable coin offers, uh, inter interest rates of between 10 and 15%, right? That's high, right? It's, it's huge. Uh, and yeah. the question that Dave's going to ask is risk, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. No, no one's asking about risk. Well, it's name sort of doesn't imply risk, right? Stable and coin. The fact that MAS is allowing you to do it, says it's reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Well, MAS is looking at it and they understand it and they're keeping an eye and they, they think, okay, this is this is uh, this is an okay pursuit in terms of how cryptocurrencies work. Uh, but you know, there there is some there is some risk involved. But uh, you know, if you talk about something like a, a generally low risk in that space, you know, that's available as well. So it's 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 crazy stuff, you know. Um, you know, Tim, you should talk a little bit about mining because I think what you're doing is brilliant as well. Yeah. Well, we're, mi we're mining um, because as all the transactions are happening, somebody needs to approve the transaction, and that's what the the mine the miners do. And as a result, they get paid a commission, and so you can have a mining rig that produces uh, reason. The, the basically for you, you can produce the return of a of a reasonable rental property um, every month. For the price of about ten percent of that, that well, no, five percent of that property here in Singapore, which yeah. is interesting. But but still have so, the risk. But, but it's the the only risk you have. You've got a couple of risks, but the the main risk you have is that you know in twenty years you can sell that property, in twenty years the rig won't be worth anything, um, yeah. because mm -hmm. you know the technology will have advanced well before, but well beyond the capabilities of the rig. But it will produce those sorts of incomes for. Um, a few years so tell me, tell me tim does does the rig require a flux capacitor yeah. <laughs> 1.21 gigawatts yes and that's a lot of trees um i'm just gonna yeah. say for, for everyone out there who's listening to tim and joe and just going what the hell are they talking about like i think there's so many people that just don't get this shit and trust me you know i work hard at trying to understand things for some reason the way people communicate around this topic of cryptos and blockchain and it, it, it's so hard to grasp as a subject, you know, it yep. really is. But I think we've all got to keep trying to understand it because it is part of our future, right? Let's um, do a no-show on it. Yeah, we, I think we should. I think we should and maybe see if we can get someone in. But we can't get an expert. We need someone who's – because what I'm struggling with is understanding it yep. from, from what's being communicated at the moment. So it's not being communicated well. And I, I, things make sense to me quickly, right, but it's not. It doesn't. It's just yeah. Going, it's because right? once you get into it, there's a lingo. Once you get into the lingo, you start talking the lingo, and then everybody knows what the hell you're talking about. And yeah. it's yeah, it's um. There's a reason why there are not too many in the metaverse as well. Yeah, the reason why there aren't many Neil deGrasse Tyson's right because you know astrophysicists they work at a level where you know they they can understand each other's formulas and papers and all that, but they don't necessarily know how to make friends, right? <laughs> so. <laughs> It's the it's the skill. The bridge is actually where 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 that yeah. comes in. Uh, most of the people who are in crypto, they're not going to tell you. They they, they assume they, they it's not, and they don't mean harm at all. It's just that no. they just operate in a different way of thinking all the time. And they'll say a term, and you're supposed to understand what it is. And if they've just even mentioned it at some point in the past, uh, they, they might even get mad at you for not remembering what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so that's no, my life for now. I'm determined to understand it. And when I do, I'll try and communicate it in a way that maybe can help the people who are like me not understanding yeah. it. But anyway, so the one of the things that I'm being distracted by at the moment is on Apple TV and it's called The Network. Have you guys heard that? Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon. It's one of the big uh, sort of break, morning breakthrough show, right? shows. It's called Morning, morning Show, I think. Oh, yeah. What did I say? The Network for? The Morning Show. I've got yeah, Facebook yeah. in my head. Um, it's absolutely sensational and it's it's so multidimensional. So the, the Me Too movement. Uh, from the male and the female perspective, um, just women women in that career, men in that career, office politics, 
If you have an opportunity to watch it, it's absolutely sensational. I, I'm loving it. Even Steve's is that you, is it. That you stuck in season one still? Yes. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great series and so well acted as well. Fantastic. Oh, very, like, really powerful acting, right? I've avoided anyway. it because it's a news show. Yeah, but oh, I, it's I, not that. Grace Witherspoon and uh, you know her her she's she's doing so much work to give to give voice to to women's yep. stories. She's amazing, and yeah, and I I just really wanted to support that, and that's that's why I started watching it. But I think it's um yeah, I think it's incredibly powerful. But let's wrap up. I know David wants to go this semi-retirement stuff. He's got a car to tinker with. Dave, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate thank it. Final thank show you, of the year. Andrea. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for your inputs. A great conversations. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that, David. Very, very nice. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, Joe and Tim for being my sidekick. And I just, I thought, you know, it's our last show of the year. Do you want to, do you want to leave everyone with a bit of a end of year message? Well, my first question is, when are we back? Fourteenth of January. Fourteenth. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um, for me, one thing that I that has really changed my life is to keep searching for that thing that's going to give you hope. Because many times you, 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 <laughs> yeah, thanks, Tim. Uh, Tim, Tim is my uh, thing. Tim, Tim is my discount supplier for AppSumo apps. <laughs> I'm, my your I'm your pusher. <laughs> yeah, uh, don't don't give up on looking for the thing that's going to give you some hope. Still be skeptical, but measure it. Uh, measure things carefully. There, there, there are opportunities that are still coming by. Don't convince yourself that. The time has gone past, and if you 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 if you really think uh, that there's no way anything's good to happen, uh, at least know that if you're just above fifty, there's a high chance that you're going to look back in twenty five years and possibly be mad about something you didn't do. Yeah, 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 right. I like that. I like that actually. It's it's it is yeah, it's a good one. Um, mine mine is just a you know. Very Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Hanukkah, uh, wonderful end of year to everybody. And uh, whatever your festivity, festivist thing is, have a fantastic time. And yeah. um, and really just spend time with family and friends and, and discuss what's great and just remember gratitude and and look forward to a 2022 where possibilities abound. Yeah. David, do you want to say anything? No, no, not at all, yeah. actually. So yeah, every happy. great 2022 ahead and... Uh, Safe days ahead for everyone, yeah. So it's yeah. it's goodbye from me. See you, David. Yeah, and so yeah, for me, it's just um, be the light for others in the world. You know, the, everyone's been through a really really hard time, but there's a lot of you know there's a rising depression, anxiety, um, you know, suicides. Like it's been a really really difficult time, and it's going to impact some generations for for years, decades to come. So. I think if we can all make that commitment just to be the light for others, especially if we've got the strength to be that light. Um, feel the feelings you're feeling. Don't don't resist them because they're not. You know, it's a, it's tough. Uh, but let's hope 2022 is better. And thanks for the support. And uh, happy holidays, happy New Year. We'll see you in January. Yeah. So, I just end up the show by blowing yeah. into Andrea's ear, but through Tim's head. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Why do I do this? All right. Do it again, okay, guys. Do it again, Joe. guys. One more time. Okay, sure. Okay, here we go. One. The no show. They talk about the week. The no show. What's happening in our streets. The no show.
they'll help you understand all the latest issues going on in the land. Making sense of what's going on about the latest news affecting everyone. No show. They talk about the week. No show. What's happening in our streets. No show. No show.